Just before we get on with the podcast, I want to go give a quick shout out to the Palestine Expo organized by the Friends of Al-Aqsa. Um, this is an annual event that's taking place this year on the 6th and 7th of July at the Olympia in London. Um, the Muslim Vibe is going to be there. We're going to be exhibiting. I'm also going to be speaking on a panel about the media. Um, we would love for you all to be there. Uh, we have a discount code available for the Muslim Vibe readers and listeners to the podcast. I'm going to put the discount code and the link in the description of this episode. Um, be sure to check it out and we hope to see you there. Let's talk about nuclear weapons. Okay. Our, our, our viewers, <laughs> some of our viewers may say, we cannot trust Iran. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts? I mean, I don't think we can trust this country. I mean, what has this country done to the majority of the countries in the Middle East? You know, like, I, I don't think Iran's having nuclear weapons. I'm a pacifist. I don't, I don't believe in violence. Um, but also, when we look at the legacy of imperialism and um, colonization in the Middle East, and we see the legacy of this country and all of the violence that it has not only created, but also created the capacity for. Um, a lot of these weapons in the Middle East are completely brought in by the United States. A lot of Americans might take offense to that. You're an American. You I, don't yeah. sound like an American when you say that. You know what <laughs> I mean? That's because I've read, you know, yeah. and I think that it's really important that we look beyond sort of these these really simple narratives that we're told, whether it's about Muslim women, whether it's about the legacy of this country, and knowing that this country literally was built on the backs of black slaves and after um, the genocide of indigenous people. And I think there's a lot that we can be proud about, but I think that we shouldn't let that sort of blindsight us for the realities of the situation. Assalamu alaikum and welcome to another TMV podcast brought to you by The Muslim Vibe. As always, I'm your host Salim Qasim and I'm the chief editor of The Muslim Vibe. Now this week I'm joined by a special guest co-presenter. He goes by the name of Hussam. Hello, hi, assalamu alaikum. And that's how he's just introduced himself. Um, that was nice. So Hussam may or may not be joining us for more podcasts in the future. To be honest, it, it's all dependent on his performance on this one. Wish me luck. Um, but but he, he does have um, a, a bit of expertise in the subject matter that we're discussing. Um, so I, as you'll have heard from before uh, this little intro of mine, we played a clip from a news interview um, with Huda Kartabi. Um, now Huda is a political fashion blogger some would describe her as yeah um she's also a community activist and has has done loads of uh incredible things ever since to be honest um and and, and that clip is one that went viral a few years back um, and we're going to talk to her about that but also just about you know the the, the starting of her blog juju azad and everything else um and as i mentioned hussam uh does dabble in in the fashion industry a little yeah. bit I think I think um, the interesting thing for me has been that uh, some of the the conversations she's, she's had on a pl public platform have been quite inspiring. Um, as someone who's worked in the fashion industry, I think it's uh, it's easy to sometimes find yourself in a room where you feel like you might have to filter yourself and and where you come from and your background and and the way in which she uh, quite quite easily doesn't filter her conversation yeah. um, is is very commendable and inspiring and it, it as, a, as a Muslim person in the fashion industry I think it it's something to aspire to do as well quick question for you yes assuming you make it past your audition <laughs> what what do you hope to bring to the Muslim Vibe podcast um, 
I think um, I think I think as someone who spends a lot of time listening to podcasts, yeah, I think what I've learned is um, we're always finding about people, finding out about people. I think that's that's always, and I, I've always thought that if I was to to jump on board a podcast, yeah, yeah, um, then I'd definitely want to find that out because I think everyone is motivated by something in their past their upbringing their you know their experiences and I think once you can really get into depth with with that then you find out about all the subject matter that is at hand within a podcast makes me feel like you're you're somewhat of a an armchair fan like with football fans yeah who will see Messi, for example, scoring a free kick and go, oh, that's easy, I could do that. Right. So because you've listened to a lot of podcasts, you feel qualified. I'm like the presenter of Arsenal Fan TV. That's okay. Which is which is basically... I, I know Arsenal Fan TV, but I don't <laughs> see the relevance here. Um, but no, it's fine. We'll, we'll, we'll try you with, out. I come with the right questions. We'll, okay, there you go. That, that, that was nice. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, so uh, that's it, really. I mean, we don't need to say much else. Um, here's our conversation with Huda Khatibi from Juju Azad. Uh, so, Assalamu alaikum, Huda. Thank you very much for joining us on the Muslim Vibe podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Excited to be here. Uh, the first thing I wanted to ask you actually was about um, how you describe yourself. So, I think it's a political fashion blogger. Is that correct? Yeah, although, like, the blogger, I feel like it's a little bit outdated at this point. Um, yeah. It's like... Activist? Yeah, I don't like the term. I so also how, think how activist is, like, a solo person. It's, like, one person who's just, like, telling people to, like, recycle. Um, I like community organizer because that, for me, it means something a little bit different. And, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, what, I'll, what I'd like to do is just... Uh, start from from the beginning i guess so uh if we go back to 2014 i believe you went to university in chicago is that correct yes uh what what is it you studied um i actually started university in 2012 um i studied the um both middle eastern studies as well as international relations so it was it 2014 when you started the blog uh to that actually i Think so. No, no, it was also 2012. No, it was. Okay, amazing. Amazing. Um, so I guess how how did that come about? How did um, how did Hida start uh, <laughs> blogging? Um, so Juju Azad uh, was born sort of out of rage, <laughs> in a way, as as many great things are born out of. I think um, I actually I I had no interest in fashion. I had. Um, I was really just, like, interested in, you know, like, social justice organizing for a very long time. And growing up in Oklahoma, and for the British readers who don't know that, that is right next to Texas, very racist. (laughs) Um, In the deep south, homogeneously white, homogeneously conservative, um, like the British countryside, I've heard. Um, So growing up in a place that no one even has seen a Muslim, let alone, like, um, know, like, the... anything about Islam I think it was just a very jarring experience for me Um, I started wearing hijab in sixth grade and that was by far like one of the worst years of my life just because of all of the the violence that I faced both like verbal harassment physical violence um, from peers grocery shopping you know just like living my life as like a 
a young person. Um, and then moving to Chicago in 2012 for college and being like, wow, oh my God, people don't try to kill me with their cars when I'm trying to cross the street all the time. <laughs> what is this <laughs> land of the free? Totally kidding. Um, but I think that experience for me was like very, um, so it made me look at myself. It made me look at um, sort of this this physical embodiment of Islam. So the hijab, dress, modest dressing, um, for me in like a, a very different light and through a very political lens. I was also just discovering fashion blogs for the first time, um, my first year of college. And I was like, oh my God, people just post pictures of themselves on the internet. I love this. And it was just like a really like exciting time of just like exploring everything that isn't the South. Um, and also seeing that like, A, there were really nobody who was doing that who is who I felt like I could resonate with in an aesthetic way. Um, B, the few people who were wearing hijab who had, like, websites were collaborating with brands that I knew were, like, on the BDS list, so supporting or profiting from Israeli apartheid, which was heartbreaking to see. And then beyond that, like, uh, for me, I, I really was mostly interested in fashion through this new political lens of, like, like how, how does it, how does the fact that I wear a hijab change my experiences in Oklahoma that like wearing a scarf around my head got me punched in the face. But if I wore a scarf around my neck, you know, I would have just been treated like everybody else. Um, and so can I, can I quickly jump in here? What do you yeah. think your life would have been like had you stayed in Oklahoma? Cause, cause I, I mean, I was brought up wow. in London um, and, and it's always been cosmopolitan. So going to school, you're surrounded by people from all different backgrounds, but obviously you've come from a, pl a place where, you know, you were, very unique and you stood out um, in who you were. But like, what do you think would have happened to all the work that you've done since um, had you stayed? Wow, that's a really interesting question. Um, <laughs> um, I mean, Allahu Alam, <laughs> truly, you know, maybe <laughs> I become the next Muslim sellout. Um, or maybe like I, I would have gotten even more angry and even more righteous and like, really all of my work would have gotten even more, I guess, like it ha happened even faster. Um, so everything that I've been doing now is a sort of like slow development of like coming to realization and reading and like, wow, and like pondering things other than being like, I am literally facing like systemic and like individual violence every single day. And I need to do something about this like yesterday or else I can't continue to exist. So I think that there, there could be possible ways that that, I was like a huge environmental activist when I was like in middle school and high school. Um, and I almost like I, I felt like I fed off of a lot of like the fact that I was making people around me uncomfortable to recycle, like just like that basic like recycle. People would throw trash away in my face as like an insult. It was just like silly. Um, so I, I feel like I would like to think that I would not have taken the sellout route because the pressure would get to me, but. So do you think more, do you, do you think, do you think more in general, I think, um, looking at your blog, uh, it's really refreshing to see that, um, though you were doing fashion content, uh, and you were doing general blogging, uh, I think, uh, I had a quick run through the, the, the posts in, in your early years. Um, and it's refreshing to see, oh, no. um, po post, post <laughs> like, um, you know, like five ways to take action, remembering the one year anniversary of um, a Bangladesh factory collapse um, and uh, for posts like, uh, you know, covering why uh, feminist t-shirt campaigns were using um, sweatshops to make these t-shirts and that kind of thing. Um, what what kind of, um, 
did you have an idea in mind of of the audience that that you may attract uh, posting this kind of specific content? Rather? Can I also quickly jump in here? Um, I, I just thought I should probably let you know my. My wife actually alerted me to your blog years ago, probably around this time when you were hey. doing all this kind of stuff. And um, she was like, oh, you should get in touch with her, you should collaborate. And to be honest, my, my laziness meant that I never reached out. <laughs> but, but what was interesting about it is that I remember coming across your website and, and reading like the, you know, the about us paragraph. And it was just so strikingly different looking at fashion in this kind of very real way. Because I feel like to an extent, the fashion industry has become very much uh, glamorized and, and they gloss over the details, like the sweatshops and things like that. And and what's interesting is that that's the area that you were focusing on, yet still wanting to create and wanting to be creative and, and be kind of, I guess, an influencer when it comes to a fashion perspective. Um, so like, where, where did the, where did that all come from? Yeah. Um, those are both great and different questions. <laughs> Sorry, um, I, no, 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 I, I don't want to no to seal my thunder um, with the questions. So. Your wife is fabulous. That's, that's a good one. Give <laughs> her <laughs> my love. She's, she's, she's genuinely a big fan of, of, of your stuff. The reading my work and then, and then it was horrible. When the, when, the, when the interview went up with you, the, the, which we'll talk about later, she was like, this is the, this is the girl, this is the woman, like, I told you about her. And I was like, oh, crap. Now, now if I try and contact her, I'll just be kind of chasing the fame. Um, yeah, you can't. So, <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, sorry, sorry. So we, we've asked a lot of questions there. I mean, f feel free to... No, no, to... no, no worries. Um, yeah, so the first... Actually, I think they, they kind of actually lead together. So I'll start with the second question and then like answer the first one. So um, so where for me, I think it, it kind of just goes back to that, like where we left off in that story is really like that the central issue for me was that fashion was political and inherently so in the experiences that I saw. Like whether or not I wanted my hijab to be a political statement, um, it was, you know, and that's something that I can't change um, because of like the, you know, the political environment that we live in, um, the ways in which I dress. Uh, how are markedly now political because I wear a hijab so that for me was just very fascinating but outside of like these very like simple tangible ways that fashion I was realizing was political the more I was reading about like the BDS list because I was very interested in like Palestine solidarity activism as every young Muslim person is growing up um, I also started thinking about like okay a lot of these brands uh, like Victoria's Secret for example is invested as like on the BDS list but I also, I wanted my, my first audience, I kind of wanted to like, my target audience were like white people, essentially, like slightly racist, materialistic white women. Um, that was like my target. And for me, like being able to kind of bring fashion in those spaces and be like, yo, um, Muslims aren't terrorists, you know, like, these are very basic, simple conversations, um, which were just what everyone was trying to say. Uh, for me, I thought that if I said that this brand was on the BDS list, they wouldn't actually boycott it. But if I said that this brand was involved in something else, then maybe they would. So I do research and I was like, huh, Victoria's Secret also uses child labor to source its quote unquote organic cotton. So I was like, wow, okay, let me write about that. And so that's where a lot of my boycott list was like started was like me doing research on these brands and being like, you had, I remember, actually, you had a, I don't know if it's still there, but there was a list there, right? Yes. Yes. Of all, yes of all it's the, still there. Um, I, I feel really bad. Man. My should. wife was onto yeah, something. You definitely should. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but yeah. Yeah. So like I, the more that I researched all these brands trying to find a way that wasn't just like Israel um, BBS, focused yeah. to get people to, I guess, in a way, like trick people <laughs> into boycotting them, um, made me realize that, like, wow, like 
these brands suck. Like, what the hell? How every brand uses sweatshops, and how is it always in areas that are like people of color? And that really made me think really deeply about like why is no one talking about this? And the more that like reading in my life and learning has always led to anger, which has always led to action. So that's kind of like where that exists. So that's where I think for me, I could. It would be more ridiculous, um, I think, to be involved in the fashion industry and not question the very violent roots of the work that you're doing. That was like a no-brainer. Like, I think it'd, it'd be a better question to ask that for somebody who doesn't engage with the politics of their clothing. Um, for me, it's like, obvi- like it's obvious. <laughs> if I could just jump in there, I think um, this is actually something I wrote down, funnily enough. And um, I, I, I would question whether it is a no-brainer because um, you said uh, anger leads to action. But I think um, what we see with people, especially who are involved in, say, the fashion industry, the modest uh, Muslim Muslims within fashion, uh, and that kind of thing, you see a lot of a lot of uh, conformity rather than standing out. And and do you think that you know where you see fashion maybe being used as as a a, a political that can be used in in politics inherently, or whether you know people choose to do it? Um, how how is it that you see that it's an it's a no brainer because you you know um, I'd like to get your opinion and see how you've seen the scope change um, both in the general fashion industry and Muslims within fashion. Definitely. Um, okay, now these are all very good questions. I've got to say. <laughs> I'm just we're, we're, okay, we're, we're doing very well. <laughs> you just compliment yourself for that question. I complimented um, Hassan and he's complimented <laughs> me, so it's all right. We can do this. <laughs> That's cute. That's cute. Um, I love, yeah, I love this like kind show of affection among men. Um, so I think that, uh, yeah, I think that maybe I don't think that fashion can be used in a political. I think fashion is political. Period, and people's engagement with the politics of their fashion is a choice of is either like a, a show of their privilege, whether or not they engage with that. So just like people who say like, oh, I'm not into politics, wow. it's like the most like excuse my language because wow, I'm going to buy wow, bullshit wow. you know I, I've I, so, so I'm sorry <laughs> yeah, to cut you off but like me right now oh okay you know what I, I won't <laughs> let it be man let it be I'm like five questions that I've skipped over because you keep asking questions <laughs> we have a lot to talk yeah, about you said, you, about. Said, you said I'm, I've only got 45 minutes because I want to spend time with my family not you guys so which, which is fair which is fair which is fair enough I appreciate that you know it's, it's the day after Eid we're recording this but um, we, we want to benefit from your presence yeah. as much as possible I'm so totally it's um, fine you, you carry on I'll but just yeah, keep not about the I'm interrupting now um so <laughs> but what, no i totally forget. No, no, okay yeah so basically everything is political like fashion is politics um and so just people who are like really like usually like white straight cis men are like oh my god i'm not into politics that's the most privileged bullshit statement any person can say because you are not caring about politics because the very policies that are being shaped don't affect you because you profit from literally everything. There's never going to be a chance in which you have to ever think about that because the system is made for you. The only time people like care about politics um, is when it directly affects them or if they actually have like some sort of understanding of how everything is literally connected um, and like deep roots of like violence and harm. Um, so you can never ask like, a poor woman of like a queer poor woman of color if she's into politics because that's like she has to literally fight for her existence and that's political but like a white man doing his thing is not political somehow but both of those are just like fashion like 
it doesn't feel like maybe our clothes are like significant or political or even intelligent, but A, that's like a very patriarchal understanding of fashion because fashion is a women-dominated industry. And from production to consumption, historically, women have dominated this industry. So not bringing value into women's work is like blatantly sexist um, because we think of other types of design or art is always when it's run by men. So like uh, historical, like things that we view men to be associated with, like architecture, car design, these sort of like more masculine forms of like art and design are so intellectual, so like thought provoking, but fashion is silly and shallow and vain. And that's like the patriarchal world that we live in gives this no value. Um, but then on the flip side of that also, like, fashion is very political and can be feminist when like given its due intersectional feminist value. Um, it, it also like right now, like everything that we're wearing, like I'm going to assume, like I can see you, but you can't see me. This is a Skype. Um, I'm going to assume that your clothes based on like the nature of them are made in sweatshops. <laughs> I'm offended. I'm not going to deny it. She's yes. probably right. But like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How is that something that isn't political? Like the fact that a like one hundred percent. You you look like you're from Southeast Asia. <laughs> um, That's me. Not, and yet, not it's our people who are being exploited in these factories to make the clothes on your back, and you're here in London. That's political. That's like wildly political. You don't have to think about it because you're like in your cushioned. Like seat in front of a sign that says the Muslim vibe in this like nice little place in London. There are so many <laughs> shots like, being fired in this well, podcast. The, the crazy thing is, I don't want to say this, but I do work <laughs> in fashion, and uh, it's uh, it's uh, the way you've put it. Having worked in fashion for a long time, I think it's not it's not it's not something that's usually said um, the way you've said it, and I think that is very very. Um, you know, that puts a lot into perspective for people. And I think that's... Um, you. And I'm not trying to take you're, shots. You're slightly, you're slightly woman-splaining the whole thing, but we can overlook that, of course. Wow. I'm going to pretend you did not say that. But just so that you carry on with, with your flow of um, speech, uh, you going from there to then people within fashion being it, um, Muslims in fashion so you know your your fashion bloggers your people working in you know <clears throat> Muslim countries within the fashion industry um, how how do they choose how do they um, choose not to conform the way that you've chosen to stand out um, over and over again and especially uh, when when you know there's you're in a, you're put in a position of pressure as we'll talk about later on with you know when it comes to tv interviews how how do you continuously choose to stand out whether it, without fear of a backlash um i think well I, I guess i'm not yeah in terms of backlash like i'm not i think i just like by virtue of growing up <laughs> and my first 17 years of my life being hated by everyone who saw me on the street i think backlash is like not my biggest concern and something that I've like alhamdulillah I feel like I've like grown really thick skin so usually like I I do get death threats but they're not they don't particularly phase me just because like that that's just that's the lie and all I mean like also like low-key low-key if I am making white like straight men very angry I feel like I'm doing something great with my life so if anything that's like encouragement that I'm doing the right thing or if I make people who are just like dumb um very angry that is a good sign for me because I do think that um, I 
and I, in this way, I can kind of answer your first question that I missed over, um, is like, who is the audience in a way and who are you writing for? Um, and it actually did start for white people. Um, I was like, I need to educate white people. If I can convince enough white people that Muslims aren't terrorists, then we'll stop getting punched in the face. That was like little, you know, naive Huda's outlook on life. Um, and for a long time, like I did write posts like, oh, you know, like Muslims are terrorists or like Islam 101. Um, and I think that was very naive of me, but I do think that I think that that work has its place to some extent, but also the more and more that I think I was understanding my work and the role of my work, but then also um, what I was spending my time on, I realized that I need to be creating work for my own community. And instead of just wasting uh, time in a way, like talking to a white community that can like flip in a second, um, they just see one more news article and then all of the things that they read on my website were just like, just some random person, you know, just the exception to the rule. Um, I realized that there was no one really pushing our own community um, and really having these conversations with people who I view to be community. Um, and so that for me has, was a really strong shift and that came from my experiences doing research in Iran and working with underground fashion designers and talking with them and realizing that I think just sitting and celebrating our own people um, for virtue of just like what we're doing doesn't happen enough within our community um, and that is a form of resistance in and of itself so for me sort of I think what keeps me going is the fact that like I love my people <laughs> and I am here to be in community and fight alongside them and there's I'm only alive today because my ancestors did it and they made it and they survived and so now I'm, I have to carry on that legacy and it it's something that I also know is like an obligation because um, in the Quran, as a Muslim, oppression is worse than is the worst thing um, that someone can not be challenging. It's it's worse than killing someone. It, you know, it's it's literally mentioned so many times in the Quran that we really have to be fighting for social justice whenever fighting against oppression, as long as it exists around us. So I don't view this as like a fun little thing that I'm doing for like followers. I think this is like both a religious and individual like obligation that we all have um as muslims yeah. or non-muslims living in this world one thing you said just now um about naive little huda or you know how you saw things once upon a time i i feel personally like that's always part of the journey um mm -hmm. and that we have to go through those experiences we have to think in a certain way we have to you know try something for it to fail for us to then kind of come back and say, right now, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. Definitely. So I, I think that's definitely contributed to, to kind of um, where you are now and what you're doing. I wanted to ask, 100%, the, yeah. the, the, the content that you produce, you mentioned about, um, you know, annoying um, white straight men. Um, and if you're doing that, you're doing something right. But what has the response been like from the community? Because like mm. you just called us out on our clothing, for example. <laughs> I feel I feel that, and it's fine. We're, we're, justified. Yeah, justifiably so. Um, but I feel like th there isn't necessarily this um, appreciation for the fact. And I've heard, for example, one lecture by a sheikh where he talks about sweatshops. Um, and, and that clip, I can send it to you. It's on YouTube. It's like a three-minute clip that's taken from the lecture. And when I heard that, I was like, this is a breath of fresh air. Mm. Because when, when have you ever heard in a mosque someone talking about sweatshops and how we shouldn't be buying from, from you know, the fast fashion mm. brands and, and the Primarchs and wherever else of this world? And when do you ever hear from that in a mosque? Because there's almost this, um, 
It's like, you know, we have our own issues. We have Islamophobia. We have to try and get closer to God. We have to make sure we pray. We have to be good community members, good family members, all of that stuff. Like w this part of the conversation doesn't really make it into the four walls. So I wanted to know that, you know, since you've started the platform and, and since it's been going, what's the response been like? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I also, I mean, I, I think those are the same conversations in a way. Like I appreciate like the, the fact that the, like the the sheikh sort of mentioned literally fashion um, and sweatshops, but also I, I think that sometimes I feel like our Muslim community is uh, focused on the words like community, the words like ummah, but we don't actually practice that. Because for me, a dedication to the ummah also means the Muslim garment workers in Nike, the Muslim garment workers working in H&M sweatshops. So that for me, like it's it's the same message, and that's kind of what I mean is that a lot of my my work comes from like I think my religious perspective on the world and I want that to be something that we can also work on expanding is that we have this idea of the Ummah as in like every other Muslim who looks just like us i.e. like only the Bangladeshi community only the Iranian community only the Shia only the you know like very these but like that is not the Ummah like and if anything like also in the Quran <laughs> also in the Quran <laughs> a lot of our um, podcasts become these to be honest <laughs> I'm used to my that. brother um, we also have a halal <laughs> gap of one country apart um, I also think that like I mean in the Quran it also says like don't divide yourselves so if we're not dividing ourselves and we're looking at ourselves as one ummah, then as a Shia Iranian, Sunni Muslims working in sweatshops in Indonesia are definitely my ummah. And if I can't say that, or even vice versa, is like a problem. Why does there's so, uh, like also so much anti-blackness in the Muslim community, like so much like classism in the Muslim community. This is for me like that same conversation of like, yeah, we have to dedicate ourselves to like each other, our community, our like this oneness of faith, a lack of um, sort of attachment to like worldly possessions. This for me is a conversation about sweatshops. Um, and also like we talk about halal food all the time, like, you know, no pork, everyone like, you know, like even like all the F boys, like we don't even eat pork, right? That's just like the red line that no one crosses. But like, Halal food, okay, like that's important. Um, halal investments, a little bit more, you know, a little less people are like involved in that. But then how about halal clothing? Like, can our clothes be halal also? Like the fact that violence went into, like literally the blood of our sisters and brothers like went into creating this clothes. Is that not haram? Um, in some ways, you know, like I think that, that, I think it's all related. It's very religiously motivated. What does it mean on a spiritual level that something that was produced in a, place of violence is rubbing against our skin like something that's so intimate to our bodies nothing else is that close to our souls in a way um aside from god but uh <laughs> so like what does that mean on a spiritual or psychological level even if you're not religious like on a just like a psychological metaphysical level yeah. of like this product of violence rubbing against our skin I don't know if I answered your so, question. What was your question? Uh, no, I think me, <laughs> that, me and Hassan, the question for sure. Me and Hassan are going shopping tomorrow. Uh, we, <laughs> no, we no. might need a few tips. I know oh, we're not going shopping. I we're going to make our own clothes. clothes. <laughs> what, what, what's what's the, I don't even know. The thing is, I don't even know what to do. Because we're going to get a seamstress to stitch us. And we're going to pay them above above the rate they deserve. Double, double. We'll pay over the odds for the for the material as well, and. And we will design the, the clothes. I'll design the clothes. You can design the clothes. I'll just wear them. Yeah, yeah. 
But see, uh, at, the end, okay. at the end of the day, this is also like about capitalism, and we can talk 100%. about capitalism too because, like, that's another podcast. No, no, no too much. <laughs> there. Don't, don't, I mean, don't. But I'm just saying that, like, buying new ethical clothes to replace your H and M and Zara is not also the answer because at the end of the day, you're yeah. just buying more stuff. Just like what keep on what you have make it last and just be conscious moving forward don't just like burn your closet and like rebuy like everything i I, as in i I would like to state now whilst my clothes might not be ethical um i i I shop as little (laughs) as possible i'm being serious here and like i'll buy one shirt for example until it's done and then buy the same one again because i I like it that's because you're a man no, because no, you, no. This is this is no, <laughs> you're both being disrespectful to me at the same time. Um, no, but I, no, I, I genuinely feel like I have I have friends, for example, that would be doing a clear out of their clothes, and they're literally getting rid of more clothes than I've owned in the last five years, and that's only like ten percent of their wardrobe, literally. No, um, no, I totally agree, hundred percent. I'm not saying that like uh, if you buy H and M, you're a bad person. I also want to make that very very clear because we haven't even talked about class and inaccessibility of like ethical yeah, 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 that was. That was my next question, to be honest. Oh, okay. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah that, that leads nicely on to the fact that um, what what would you say to people who may uh, be forced to, to head into your H&Ms and um, your Primarchs of the world because um, out of necessity, of because that's, yeah, that's yeah. the only place. I mean, who do you? Like, I'm not, like, I don't think anyone's a bad person for buying fast fashion. Um, I still have a lot of H&Ms that are from, like, back in the day. Um that like I still wear, you know, because I've I've made it last. But I, I think at the core of this is just a more global Can understanding ask, of does, our people. So, so, sorry, does does the blood wash off after a certain amount of time? You said that you made them last. So does it become ethical after like five years? Is that what you're trying I to say? I was going to say not funny, but I already laughed at that. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, if you're going to call us out, then I guess I we can push it back on you, right? <laughs> horrible question. <laughs> um, no, you made me forget. Oh yeah, yeah. So I, I don't think that yeah, people are bad people because you, you have no funds to buy ethical clothes. Ethical clothes are more expensive because there's no such thing as an ethical five dollar shirt. Um, but at the same time, I think the core of this is just the same though. The core of this is understanding that um, your clothing is a political statement. Um, but also more than that is that everything is also connected. And I think that goes back to what we're talking about, this like greater understanding of community. And we need to be including garment workers and people in the, you know, across the subaltern as our community and continuously internationalize these conversations. And in doing so, if we can understand that even fast fashion is connected to um, capitalism and military occupation, military, you know, and the police complex, then you can buy, and like obviously like not, in like a surplus but like in a very small minimal wardrobe buy your one h&m shirt a year but also go out and protest the military um because it's all related and that for me is like more important than if you didn't do any like sort of organizing against these structural issues and just like bought ethical all the time i think that it's it's a conversation about like what can you do right now as your human um, within your capacity to just move these conversations forward and move us all forward. 100% correct. I think, um, uh, I answer proactive- before you answered two more. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, continue. Fabulous. Um, thank yeah. you. Thank you for that. But yeah, I think, I think, I think, proactive- <laughs> I think proactive ways for us to, to also 
do that is look at initiatives such as the one that you've built. But I think uh, Salim was looking to touch on something before we go into that. Um, I was talking about the interview here. Yeah. Okay, so yes, the, the WGN9 interview in Chicago. Oh, yeah. Um, this is, I, oh, yeah. I think, probably one of, one of my favorite clips. Um, do you look back on it positively? Can I just ask? Um, I mean, yeah. Why not? <laughs> yeah. Well, 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 I think at the beginning of the, this interview, we'll probably play like a section from it, um, just so people kind of familiarize themselves. So, so if you're listening to this, what you heard at the beginning, basically, um, there was that moment where you were talking, or you were speaking against, in fact, there was one thing where they were, where they were talking about not trusting Iran. Um, and you flipped it around and said, well, I don't think we should trust our own government. Um, well, which I was not expecting. I, 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 I don't think anyone people, was. I, to be honest, I don't think anyone was expecting you to say something like that. But, but, but more, more than the fact that you were a a woman saying it, more than the fact that you were, uh, you know, Iranian saying it, you, you you were a Muslim woman in hijab saying it, and, <laughs> yeah. and articulating yourself <laughs> very well, which I think probably came as a shock even to the presenters. And I don't, and I don't say it in a in a condescending way or anything as no, no. as a man myself, but. Um, you got to clarify that. Now. Yeah, I, I do. I do have to clarify that. I, I hope you understand what I mean. In, in that, in that, typically when you see, and to be honest, I guess it's, it, it can come from men as well. I can, say, I can say the same about Muslim men. Is when when you're given that kind of platform. Yeah, yeah, no, no, don't worry. You can um, have your own podcast about that. We don't want to be on that one. I mean, you, you, it's easy. It's easy to feel like when you're on a platform like that to maybe not be so i don't know what the correct word is it brash is it um is it i, I think expressive, yeah, expressive. Yeah, yeah very yeah and, and even i guess also then the for me the the, the 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 sort of culmination of that whole thing was then when she said you don't sound american and you hit her back almost like uh, almost like you rehearsed it it felt like you guys prepared that beforehand. Yeah. He was like, it's because I've read. Um, and then you had that smug smile that you've probably been doing this whole time when you've been accusing us of mansplaining. You know, no, but it, it, I mean, genuinely, like, I think I, I, I want to kind of congratulate you on that interview. 100%. Be- because it, it does stand, for me at least, the test of time in that we just watched it before speaking to you and it still hit just as hard. Um, and to be honest, it hasn't been done like that and we don't hear enough of that we don't hear our perspective articulated as well as you did and kind of fighting you know fighting against the power essentially in in such an effortless way um i don't know if they're going to invite you back on but if you do get the opportunity then obviously just hit them as hard (laughs) because it was enjoyable for all of us they did invite me back on but then they said they would only because they wanted to apologize and they wanted to have like Oh. Um, and I accepted, but the white man didn't want to show up, and I was like, only if the white man shows up. As um, in the white man who was who was on, yeah, on TV. Larry Potash. Larry Potash. Really. Um. Yeah. So. So is that why you have it out for white men? I've had it out for white men for a long time. Okay, fine. <laughs> Just making sure. Um. But yeah. So. But, but yeah. So what? What made you? What made you? Uh, feel so confident? Uh, where? Where? many people may in that situation choose to not be so blunt about about the way they express their ideas and and that kind of thing what made you just feel like no nah, I'm, I'm i'm not going to conform at all here um i would say two things the first is just like to be like completely just honest it was early in the morning and my filter turns off early in the morning so 
looking back, I actually, when I watched the interview and I was like, oh my God, I can't believe I said that. <laughs> um, <laughs> but that's why like it, it, that was literally my natural reaction to everything. We should have done this interview a few hours earlier. I realize realize we're we're having this conversation early in the morning, your time as well, which explains so much. (laughs) So much. Um, But yeah, no, sorry, carry Carry on, carry on. on. (laughs) Um, Yeah, no, I'm definitely a morning person. Uh, It's when my brain is the sharpest. Yeah, it shows. shows. Yeah, those are definitely just like, I think my, that's how I would respond, like in my purest way. And I think, and also the second part of that is I also was acutely aware the entire time that this was live, um, meaning that I wanted to take advantage of that moment in that I've done so many interviews all the time, but like news anchors, whatever, can always edit your words if it's pre, if it's like a, a clip, and it always happens. Like every single time, every, if it's like an interview, if it's like a, a journal, article, whatever, um, they get to just take what they want out of it and then publish that. So I was like, you know what, this is going to be my time. I'm going to say what I want. Um, and because it was live, I just, I went with it. And yeah, I, I think that's why I also, I, I allowed my filter to stay off kind of throughout that entire process because I knew that this was um, an opportunity that I wanted to take advantage of. Yeah, well, I think, I th- I th- do you want to jump no, in? No, no, go for I it. Think, I think this is a th- uh, becoming a theme for you in terms of take advantage of, of situations. So um, you... Uh, you must have, or you definitely saw some some of the responses and and that kind of thing afterwards. Um, and you took you took the the memorable memorable quote from that interview to to then go on to set up a a, a book club. So if you if you tell us a bit about that, I think I'm going to just leave that to you to to let us know about that. Yeah. Um, so the line that I do not remember saying. Um, <laughs> Because it was just <laughs> so obvious. So instinctive. That, <laughs> <laughs> that, um, that I think went viral, particularly so. It was turned into like memes and hashtags and like cross stitches. Was the... You became an internet meme. That, that's pretty <laughs> impressive. I know, that's when you know you've made it. And, 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 and sorry, and it was for a good reason as well. Yeah. It wasn't like one of those awkward, like you fell over at graduation meme. It was like a legit, I've done something meme. So well done. I know, because I thought that if I ever would have been memed, it would have been the former, like something that would have just been like, <laughs> and I'm very clumsy. And so I was like bracing myself for one of those. But um, I got I got lucky. Um, but yeah, so that, and that line was just that the, when she asked, I said, um, I, you don't sound like American and I said that's because I've read um, and that was just like fun for people and my um, everything was sort of like happening very very fast like my emails would like every like minute like 10 new emails would appear from just like people I would like go to the top of my Twitter and I'd refresh and it'd be like 99 notifications I'd refresh it'd be like 99 notifications so I was like I don't know what to do with myself so it just like that on all of my social media and um it felt, in a way, it was, like, really exciting, also really, really frustrating that, and, and how, way heartbreaking that it, this something that I felt like was just so basic to me and so, like, obvious, this is what's going viral. Um, and it also, it, it just kind of showed how I feel like we don't have real conversations. A critique of the military is just so radical that, like, it has to go viral. So that was a little heartbreaking, I think, at the same time. Um but particularly, all of, a lot of these messages were saying that, like, oh, because you said that you've read, like, I want to know what your reading list is. Like, what do you read? Like, 
And that's where most of the emails and messages that I was getting. So I decided to turn that moment into and kind of push this energy from um, everyone excited about sort of radical politics into like a place that we could continue these conversations and build this out a little bit larger. And that's when, because we've read started, which is that radical international book club, um, which we're hoping to, we actually have a chapter in London. Um, yes. Led by is it for women only? That's a what? Genuine question. Is it for women only or is it for anyone? No, no, it's for everyone. You can even be white. See, see white, straight wow. man? Yeah, yeah, I think, yeah. Wow. <laughs> I think we're allowing them. <laughs> um, but no, we have a really, well, really amazing chapter in London. So if you are amazing. in town, you should definitely hit them up. Um, we'll, we'll put the, if there's a link or whatever, we can we can put that in the, in the description so people can... Um, can connect i guess however they need to and i think it's i think it's going full circle for you in, the, in that you are now i'm sure i'm sure with with everything that's happened you will have some white males um joining this book club and that's that's your early audience that you wanted to target right <laughs> yeah, yeah but it's so changed. it's full circle i'm no longer speaking to them <laughs> yeah 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 i'm aware, aware. Yeah, they can um, listen. But, I have nothing against anybody listening to what I have to say, but my audience don't speak is, to like, me. is my people. I, but I also define like, my community very, very broadly in that sense. Amazing, amazing. Well, I think I think um, uh, a couple final points um, in terms of what we were saying earlier about how you could proactively support initiatives um, that are more ethical. Um, you've set up a co-op. A manufacturing co-op and i believe is it is it correct in saying it's a fashion label that would be incorrect <laughs> incorrect so so why don't you educate us on um and the, and the listeners on what it what, what the co-op is exactly and um uh what, what you're looking to do with this project because it's it does sound like an amazing initiative thank you um yeah it, it, i think this also i think just speaks to how the huge disconnect we have between ourselves and our clothes that when I say like clothing manufacturing cooperative or like workers cooperative, people are like, what do you mean? Like, so are they designing clothes? I'm like, no, no, they are making clothes. And I think people don't realize that machines don't make clothes, but humans make clothes. And that's just wild to me. Um, but yeah, so we, we basically are clothing manufacturing companies. So like industry, um, we are an alternative to sweatshops. So that's one of the major goals is really being able to provide an alternative for designers globally um, to really be able to produce and something that is truly transformative but also transparent and like ethically sound it's a workers cooperative meaning that everyone who is a part of this actually also gets to both run the business and decide everything like we just developed our internal bylaws together hours wages everything but also like gets equal shares of profit from all of the contracts that come in. So like there's no hierarchical pay with like horrible managers who get like 90% of the cut, like all these sorts of things that really give agency back to the people doing the actual work um, who are all immigrant refugee women um, here from Chicago. So really wanting to challenge sweatshops, but also a lack of holistic care or holistic places for um, women and particularly immigrant and refugee women of color we face so many barriers to work. So we provide translators on site. Um, only one of our members speaks English actually right now. On site, childcare, transportation when it's needed, food when people don't have food. Like being able to view people as human beings with like lives and like holistic needs, not just like even just like a paycheck. Um, 
and creating a space that fosters that in a way that's not replicating white saviorism tropes of just like, oh my God, like we need to save refugees. And, and what, do you, what what is your vision for this for this initiative and this project? Uh, you said that it's set up in in Chicago. Yes. Um, is that is that because uh, is that simply because of where you're based, or is it because um, you? Um, yeah, tell us tell us a bit about what the vision is and the mission is for it, and um, uh, why why Chicago? Yeah. So um, yeah, I live in Chicago, so that was <laughs> easy because. Um, I just, and I'm also, I, I think it's really important because this co-op is definitely a community-built project, essentially. So um, everything from, like, the space to um, like, people who have donated their time, like, translating, people who have donated time, doing all these sorts of things to make us possible so we don't have all these upfront costs have been so wild and so powerful and so beautiful and as a result of the fact that I've been in Chicago here for a long time and been a community organizer and developed these relationships built on trust, um, that I could just like walk up to like a refugee resettlement agency or a domestic violence shelter and they would listen and like believe in my mission enough to let me meet their members or meet like people and just come with translators and be like, hey, this is something that I'm working on. So I couldn't actually have done this anywhere else just because I'm so grateful for my community here in Chicago. Um, also, Chicago has one of the largest refugee populations in the United States, so it's also um, convenient in that way. So we actually have the largest Rohingya population uh, of refugees in the United States, for example, as well as other communities. We have like their top populations, like top five. So we it's a really large site for um, like immigrant refugee. That's that's really cool. Um, I, I to be honest, we've we've kind of gone over the time that you gave us. Um, okay, my parents will yell at me when I come back down. I want to I want to apologize. Can you apologize to them on our behalf, please? <laughs> I will. I'll tell them um, two Muslim men from the UK say that they're sorry. <laughs> who, who, make unethical, who make unethical fashion choices as well. um, but no honestly thank you like I, I was I was genuinely looking forward to our conversation and, and it hasn't disappointed Aww, thank um, we've been schooled we've been schooled we've been no I, I was expecting this and I'm, I'm glad Hassan was here as well because I don't know much about fashion like I, I mean if, if I'm kidding I'm kidding I'm kidding <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, you're speaking about Salim, not me. I'm, I'm you sure. could have you could have let me say it myself, but there you go. Um, no, honestly, like this is this is not really an, an area that um, I, I pay too much attention to, and as a result, I'm probably the the biggest culprit when it comes to just buying whatever from the high street just to to, to make sure I get by. But the, the difficulty now, I guess, is for for people listening as well, is how to make those ethical choices um, and. I think that's probably something that that we can we can follow up on another time. But I, yeah, this is this has been really interesting. I mean, I just want to thank you, I guess, for the time and and for the work that you've been doing as well. As I said, like I've I've come across your website years ago, um, and it was just my own wow. laziness that that I didn't reach out, send you an email, just even applaud you for the work. I might have. I'm <laughs> going to check. I might have actually emailed you back in the day. And, and you probably ignore. I'm, I'm not even joking. I'll, I'll check after we finish this. But but if not, I just want to, I guess, commend you for the work that you're doing, and, and and hope that you can continue. And next time you're in London as well, come to the office, um, and you can, I guess, school us all when it comes to this whole. I mean, there's more of us here, and we all dress as as poorly as uh, as, as myself, <laughs> apart from Hassan, who's, who's, who's the resident fashionista. No, I'm actually um, coming back to London in August for the Byline Festival. Amazing. Oh really? 
I might I might be at the Byline Festival, so so we can definitely try and I guess me up then. Um Hussam, any Yeah, I just final I words? would I just echo your words. I think um you definitely uh have done a lot of amazing, amazing projects and I think I think especially uh working in fashion it's, it's very easy to feel like oh i want to do an initiative but um allow the obstacles to to mean that it doesn't materialize and i think the fact that you've allowed uh, that you've continued to try and pursue this path from from the early blog post which which really <laughs> surprised me that you've been following this um these themes very early on and to 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 create a project like this is very commendable and and we really Wish you the best of luck mm-hmm. with it. Thank you so much. Sorry. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. And I, yeah, I think just like quickly answer that last point since it's, I'm already late anyway. Um, I, I do think that just like one thing that I really hope that Muslims are able to like do is to not wait to do the work that they want or not wait for somebody to give them the opportunity or not ask for an opportunity when they can just go and take it. Um, and I, I, I mean, in yeah, to the best of anyone's ability. I do think that every single person has a capability of just taking a stand and like taking a step. Um, and that can look different today than it does tomorrow. But as long as people are like in that mindset and working towards something and seeing this larger community as part of your community, I think that's where that's where like radical systemic change can happen. For sure. Thank thank you so much again of for your course. time. Heather. Thank you. Have a wonderful right. rest of your day. So Sam, that was our conversation with Huda. Um, your thoughts? I think she came with a lot of insightful information. Uh, I think she definitely put us on the spot as much as we put her on the spot. <laughs> <laughs> little bit. Little, I, I, I think I... I um, she questioned your fashion taste. I, think. I definitely did also. That's something to go away and think about. I, I've, I think about this all the time. <laughs> um, my, my, my fashion is... is um, Leave yeah, some room to be. The, yeah, the less said the about my my attire generally, the better, I think. Um, but how how did you find the whole TMV podcast experience? I think it, it's been a pleasure being on here. I think um, uh, a good a good first guest to to be interviewing. I think yeah. uh, definitely definitely gave me some a lot to think about. Yeah, um, I, I think honestly, like one of the things I've I've probably mentioned it on the whole ending spiel on the podcast. I run out of things to say sometimes. Yeah, but. What's really nice about this is that I get to have conversations with people and just pick their brain. Right. Um, and it's often people that like, you always think, oh, I'd like to chat to that person and just find out. Yes. I'm able to just send them an email and be like, hey, we've got a podcast. Let's Can have we have a conversation, conversation. And, and record it? Yeah, exactly. Um, and so it, it's, it's given me like an insight and a very small insight, obviously, but into like a lot of different fascinating areas of, of industries and, and different areas well with me on board i think you're going to find out a lot more i was about to say i would love to actually take you on the journey and hopefully broaden your own horizon amazing well i think i think your your list uh, our listeners am i allowed to say yeah go on, you can claim our listeners people. can um can let you know salim <laughs> how well i've done yeah in fact i'll put it this way if i receive one negative feedback from anyone if anyone wants to email me just saying oh that sounds awful um then this will probably be your last podcast wow but i to be honest i would like to have you on beyond you will need to disclose the um the information of who might give give some negative feedback Ah, I'll, I'll let you know. Don't All worry. Right, great, G- great. Actually, no. This is, <laughs> G- GDPR wise, no, that's not going to happen. But no. Um, thank you very much for, for coming on the podcast. Thank and, you and for having me. To our listeners, I hope you did enjoy the podcast. I, I definitely 
enjoyed having the conversation. I know Hassan did as well. Um, we will be back next week as always um, with more great guests. We have quite a few potentially quite awesome guests in the pipeline, to be honest. Um, and Hassan's actually jumping in at the right time because they're all lining up right now and he's he's suddenly kind of shown up out of nowhere. Um, that's what I do best. Coming along for the ride. Um, so, yeah, I think that's that's everything. Please be sure to subscribe if you haven't already and consider giving us a five-star rating and also write something nice. That would be much appreciated. Um, yeah, wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.